Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. Today, we have more details on the bipartisan budget to avoid default. Eric Trump is being sued for secretly approving millions of dollars in fees for condo residents. Trump's legal team is an epic disaster. The Department of Justice seeks to postpone a legal showdown over the 14th Amendment. And Turkey's Erdogan has declared victory in that country's runoff election. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Welcome back. Thank you. Well, it's wait, you weren't—you didn't go anywhere. You were here yesterday. What am I talking about? <laughs> hey, welcome back from yesterday. It's okay. That's it's what I'm Trust meant. me. Yeah, my travel schedule, my gig schedule is going to make you say that for the next week and a half. <laughs> so you're going to be like, were you here? Were you not? I'm going to be in and out, you know, just a little in and out. <laughs> Lost all sense of linear time today on uh, on Memorial Day. It's kind of cloudy, kind of gray. I've just been sort of sitting at home in my jammies writing, you know, working. Yeah. And uh, it was relatively slow news day, as expected, but we did get a bunch of really interesting details out of the budget thing. We're going to talk about that. And then, of course, you know, we're going to read the good news. If anybody has any good news, you can send us your good news at dailybeanspod.com 
and click on contact. Also, President Erdogan has secured victory in a runoff election. An Erdogan win has implications beyond Turkey, though, which is a regional powerhouse, a NATO member and a strategic but very frustrating ally to the United States, to say the least. Turkey under Erdogan has maintained close ties with Russia and Putin, and they've refused to participate in Western sanctions. They've held up the expansion of NATO by refusing to ratify Sweden's membership. He's also expanded the Turkish military's reach into northern Syria and brokered a deal with the United Nations between Ukraine and Russia to allow Ukrainian grain exports through Russian blockades. So not a good dude. And I have a feeling he didn't probably win legitimately, but I think you're probably onto something there, but exactly what are we going to do? Yeah. I know that Elon Musk sort of throttled Twitter for anti-Erdogan accounts. So that may have had uh, something to do with it as well. But anyway, that's what's going on over in Turkey. And uh, we do have a lot of news locally here in the United States to uh, to get to. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Shalil Kapoor at NBC. The bipartisan deal struck by Democratic President Joe Biden and Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy would extend the debt limit for two years alongside some modest federal spending cuts and a series of policy provisions. It's a 99 page thing. It's called the Fiscal Responsibility Act with McCarthy, Republican from California, who says we'll get a vote in the Republican led House on Wednesday. It'll need to pass the Democratic-controlled Senate before the June 5th deadline set by the Treasury Department to act or risk default. Now, it was June 1st, but Janet Yellen moved the drop-dead date to June 5th. The core of the deal is a suspension of the debt ceiling, currently at $31.4 trillion, until January 1st, 2025. The Treasury Department could then use extraordinary measures to pay bills, which typically lasts for months. That effectively resolves the issues through the 2024 election, leaving it to the next president and the new Congress to deal with. So vote and bring someone with you. The agreement includes spending caps for the next two years to set up the appropriations process. In the fiscal year 2024, it would limit military spending to $886 billion. Ooh, big limits. Yeah. And non-military discretionary spending to $704 billion. In fiscal year 2025, those numbers would rise to about $895 billion and $711 billion, respectively. Factoring in adjustments, the White House projects that when veterans funding is set aside, non-defense spending will not change with a slight reduction overall from 2023 to 2024. It's basically flat. The White House is touting it as a budget deal, not a ransom payment for a debt ceiling extension, and emphasizing the modesty of the spending cuts, even though it faces a GOP-led House. It also notes that the bill would make no changes to Medicaid, leave Social Security and Medicare alone, completely untouched. The White House says the bill would fully preserve the climate and clean energy provisions of last year's Inflation Reduction Act, along with the rest of the act and the rest of his whole plan, the CARES Act, the PACT Act, all of it. It would leave Biden's executive action on student debt forgiveness untouched as well, although that's being battled in the courts right now because Republicans don't want you to have student debt relief. So there's all of that. And while it raises the age for already existing work requirements for SNAP benefits, it also expands SNAP by removing all work requirements for veterans, active duty service members, and the homeless, and even people who are at risk of becoming homeless. So the expansion of SNAP outweighs the cuts. But most of all, Dana, it averts default. And huge. It makes MAGA Republicans really, really mad, which is my favorite thing about the whole thing. And it's almost like, hey, you know what? We just wanted a clean 
debt ceiling bill. But you fuckers had to come in and now we've expanded SNAP. We've protected Medicare and Medicaid for the next two years. We, you know, and like the, the permitting thing is going to stay as is like all of the things the Republicans wanted. The IRS is going down by like two percent. So he didn't get rid of like the, you know, the the billions of dollars to fund the IRS for the next decade. That's untouched. And right. the, the MAGA people are pissed off, which pleases me. Yep. Oh, yeah. George Santos is up in arms. Oof. All of them. All of the arms. <laughs> and uh, this is a related story, actually, AG. This is from Gerstein at Politico. A federal judge in Boston has postponed a hearing scheduled for this week in a lawsuit that a government workers union filed in a bid to confirm President Joe Biden's authority to ignore the debt limit by actually invoking the 14th Amendment. We had touched on this before. In a court filing on Monday, Justice Department lawyers cited the Sunday announcements by Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy of a deal to lift the debt ceiling and argued that the development undercut the urgency of the legal dispute. Well, last week, with a potential default looming by June 1st, U.S. District Court Judge Richard Stearns ordered the government to respond in writing to the suit by Tuesday. He scheduled arguments for Wednesday in Boston on the union's request for preliminary injunction requiring Biden and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to continue to pay employees' salaries and other debts, even if the $31.4 trillion debt cap was exceeded. However, Stern said in a brief Monday order that the hearing would be put off indefinitely. This is a quote. In deference to the efforts of the executive and legislative branches to resolve the current impasse over the debt ceiling statute, the court will postpone the hearing on the union's motion for a preliminary injunction scheduled for this Wednesday, May 31st, 2023, pending any further order of the court. That was again from Stearns. The judge's actions followed an unusual Memorial Day holiday filing by the Justice Department that appeared aimed at trying to avoid staking out a clear position on the main legal question in the case which is whether the 14th Amendment's language about the national debt authorizes or even requires the president to keep paying U.S. government financial obligations in the face of a statute that seeks to set a limit on the total debt outstanding. While some liberal lawmakers and other activists urge Biden to publicly embrace the 14th Amendment argument and declare that he could ignore the debt limit, he took a more nuanced position, saying earlier this month that he was considering claiming such a power in the future, but that a court battle over the issue now would create uncertainty and could be economically damaging. Well, attorneys for the union pressing the suit, the National Association of Government Employees, indicated that it opposed postponing the deadline or the hearing, and that's according to government's filing. Now, a spokesperson for the union did not immediately respond to messages on Monday seeking comment. During a video conference in the case last week, Stearns, an appointee of President Bill Clinton, actually, initially told lawyers for the union that if the matter was as urgent as they contended, then Biden should take some unilateral action to avoid it. However, the judge later agreed to set a hearing on the eve of what then appeared to be the date of government would have to stop paying all its bills. So uh, it's, it's really interesting. This is a it, the whole debt ceiling thing is just ridiculous considering that the, the Republicans are the one that raised the deficit every single time they're in fucking office. But yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't want to pay their bills for tax cuts for the rich. Right. So, yeah. So they wanted to hold the rest of the economy hostage. And Biden's like, OK, uh, let's do this deal and just totally fucked over the Republicans. It's pretty great. 
All right. In a great analysis piece by Katie Fang for MSNBC, who I love. If you don't watch the Katie Fang show, you got to get on it. Katie Fang writes, the attorney-client relationship is historically one of the most sacred and cloaked with the usually most impenetrable privileges of complete confidentiality and one that is imbued with explicit and implicit trust. Clients look to their lawyers for guidance, a keen knowledge of the law, and the ability to provide favorable public-facing content for those moments and cases where the client cannot interface with the media and the public. There are professional standards, and each state has rules of conduct. But when it comes to the many cases of the former president, those sacred bonds are sometimes bent to the point of breaking. Who's to blame? Depends on who you ask, I suspect. But regardless of where the fault may lie, this kind of havoc does not bode well for Trump's legal future. When faced with so many legal challenges, a surgically orchestrated strategy is necessary. Sometimes even just the outward image of prepared and organized calm is the goal. (laughs) But with Trump, you have the perfect storm of infighting lawyers jostling for pole position and a client who is prone to embracing the microphone and never meeting a camera he didn't love. It's a recipe for an attorney-client disaster. Trump presently has several pending cases and investigations, both state and federal. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, the E. Jean Carroll verdict, a new E. Jean Carroll case, the New York Attorney General Tish James, Jack Smith and the Department of Justice, Fonnie Willis in Georgia. And to be clear, (laughs) those are just the cases and investigations that we know about. There could be other investigations that are underway about which we have no knowledge at this stage. Considering all of the above, you would think a client facing that amount of legal peril would have a top-notch team of lawyers in place, crackerjack lawyers, ready to defend him. But when you have a client like Trump, normal expectations do not apply. Just recently, attorney Tim Parlatore announced very publicly via voluntarily testifying for a Mar-a-Lago documents investigation that he was resigning from the Trump legal team, allegedly because of his inability to provide the right kind of counsel to Trump due to obstacles created by fellow Trump lawyer Boris Epstein. (laughs) Parlatore claims that Epstein was keeping him and other lawyers from being able to speak to their client and that Epstein was not being honest with Trump. Interestingly, it was just a few months ago that Parlatore was singing Epstein's praises, according to the New York Times, whom he told, it's good to have someone who's a lawyer who's also inside the palace gates. It doesn't bode well that we only have a few months after that, Parlatore publicly derided Epstein and said Epstein was gatekeeping the rest of the legal team from accessing Trump. Parlatore also went after a few fellow Trump attorneys like Joe Takapina for what Parlatore said was a potential conflict of interest in Takapina representing Trump in the Manhattan DA's Stormy Daniel Hush Money case. At one time, Daniels had contacted Takapina about possibly representing her, and Parlatore questioned openly on cable news whether Joey Taco Pants was the right attorney to represent Trump at trial. Although Epstein has been referred to as Trump's in-house counsel, Parlatore told the New York Times he has reportedly little documented legal experience, including none in the criminal defense arena. Epstein has created a name for himself in MAGA circles for being a political strategist, for his combative style, and for his access to Trump, let's be honest. Trump also has apparently given Epstein the ability to hire and fire attorneys. Parlatore isn't the only attorney on Trump's Keystone Cops legal team to throw up the white flag. Evan Corcoran, who was Trump's lead attorney in the documents case, resigned from that role after being subpoenaed by the Justice Department to testify before a federal grand jury. Granted, Corcoran remains on the global legal team as counsel for Trump, but it's not a commonplace occurrence for an attorney to end up being compelled by way of court order to testify before a grand jury regarding conduct committed by a client. 
Lest Corcoran feel lonely, though, Parlatore has also provided testimony before Jack Smith's federal grand jury for his role in the documents case. However, Parlatore chose to appear voluntarily before the grand jury without the need for a subpoena to give testimony about how additional document searches were conducted at other Trump properties. And I'm still not sure about that. I still think he was subpoenaed. That hasn't been clarified. CNN reports it differently. Pat Cipollone, a former Trump White House counsel. Patrick Philbin, the two Pats. Philbin's the former deputy White House counsel, have also testified in a federal grand jury about Trump's alleged efforts <laughs> to overturn 2020. Oh, and Epstein, he's testified before Fonnie Willis's Fulton County special grand jury regarding Trump's alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election and spent two full days in the DOJ talking with Jack Smith's prosecutors. So good. Corcoran also has the dubious honor of being the subject of piercing attorney-client privilege because of the crime-fraud exception for his communications, both written and verbal, with Donald Trump. The successful application of the crime-fraud exception is very, very rare. A few federal judges, as well as some appellate court judges, have found that there was sufficient evidence of criminal activity afoot. If I were Corcoran, I would vacate the premises of Trump world in its entirety. I am, of course, not counsel to Corcoran. Although, to be clear, several Trump lawyers have had to retain their own lawyers due to their representation of Trump. The newest iteration of MAGA might as well now stand for making attorneys get attorneys. I recommend reading this full piece by Katie Fang. It goes on. It's hilarious. It's well-written. It's, it's I mean... Funny peculiar. Sure. More than f- funny haha. But all you have to do is Google Trump's legal team is an epic disaster by Katie Fang. <laughs> you can read the whole thing. <laughs> That's clickbait if I've ever seen it. I would mm. do it. All right. This is from Ben Barchfield at the, the Villager. And I love this because this prick might finally be held accountable for something, which makes me super happy. Former President Donald Trump's son, Eric. Yes, Eric has been accused in a new lawsuit of orchestrating a deal to convert an unoccupied bar into amenity space for residents of Trump World Tower near the United Nations and secretly pass off the multi-million dollar price tag to condominium residents. Oops. Whoops. Joanna Bader, who has resided on the 39th floor of Trump World Tower since 2004, filed the suit in Manhattan Supreme Court on May 25th, accusing the condo board of which the former president's middle child is a member of approving the conversion of 2,500 square feet of vacant commercial space, formerly the World Bar, into residential amenity space with little notice to condo owners and no ability to contest the renovation. Condo residents, Bader alleged, are being forced to foot the massive bill for this project, including $1.75 million in special assessment, $300,000 in amenity fees, amounting to 2% of the residents' annual rental fees and $190,000 annual rent for the space itself. The Trump Corporation, the property manager of the building, is also named in the suit, which is a beautiful thing. Trump Corporation is a subsidiary of the former president's umbrella company, the Trump Organization. And that would be Trump Organization One, acting as management company (laughs) because there's two at his various properties. The Trump Organization did not respond to a request for comment. Shocking. I know. Well, the the calamaris are busy handing over tape gaps from the documents case. (laughs) So good. Bader says that for the past four years, the space of the World Bar had set vacant. It was vacant, but on February 23rd, residents received a letter from the board disclosing the amenity space plans and noting that they would start being charged the special assessment a week later. On March 1st, 
The Trump Corporation began charging both the special assessment and 2% amenity charge fees that day. Residents had been informed of demolition work causing loud noise from February 13th, beginning then, but weren't told what it would involve. And Bader's email inquiry to the property manager went unanswered. They also apparently didn't put in a request for comment. The move had not been disclosed to residents before then. That's again from Bader. And in fact, had only been the subject to a quick pro forma vote at the condo board's January meeting where only four members were even present. The resolution was signed personally by Eric Trump, landlord of the 845 UN Limited Partnership, rather than Barry Lestner, the condo board's authorized signatory, which is a beautiful thing. Whoops. (laughs) The resolution clearly violated the condo bylaws, says Baitner, as alterations to common areas costing in excess of $200,000 must first be approved by a vote of all residents rather than just the board. Well, the former president is not named in the suit. Of course, he's not. But the Trump Organization was found guilty of criminal fraud at the trial of longtime Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg, as we know, and was ordered to pay $1.6 million fine. Well, Weisserberg was sentenced to five months in jail for evading taxes on hundreds of thousands of dollars in off-the-books pay and, as we covered in the last week, couple of weeks, is back in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so good. I mean, I would love to see Eric Trump get fined, do time. I don't know. I don't know. I just want one of these kids to get busted. I like that they referred to him as the middle child. Like, I know. Just take some time, little girl. You're in the middle half the ride. Everything, everything will be just fine. No, you're all going to prison. So sorry, I was wrong. Yeah. Going to do hard time. I would have covered that one if you had just given me a second. (laughs) I would have had your back, AG. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Good stuff. All right. Thank you so much for that uh, reporting. And uh, thanks to The Villager. I love these local papers. If you have a chance to like support your local newspaper, please do it. Um, We have uh, some good news that we have to get to, and we're going to do that right after this break. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, you want to play What the Mutt or What the Horse, which we call What the Hequine, why not? If you want to give a shout out to a loved one or your small business or a small business in your community, or if you want to tell us your most amazing, wonderful Pride Month stories or uh, Whoopi stories or show us your cats that stand in boxes made of tape. Man, we do some interesting stuff. Uh, but it's so fun. It's so fun. We really, really do. Uh, shout out to a loved one. Uh, shit kids say anything you want to send us. Uh, pod pet pics. If you don't have a pod pet, you can send us an adoptable pet in your area. Do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Uh, all right. I'm going to grab these first two because they're pretty short. From Lee G. Hi, Beans Queens. Long time. First time. Love starting my day with you. A minor quibble with your pronunciation on Monday's show. As much fun as you have saying it. I don't think Magacacus. Uh, it's Magacacus. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Magacacas, as in poop. <laughs> <laughs> Magacacas. Thank you for all you do to spread the good word while helping us find something to smile about. Yeah, Magacacas, as in shits, they say. Thank you, Lee. And from Anonymous, no pronouns given. In Berlin, there's a museum of resistance fighters against Nazi fascism. 
I've seen it before, but this time it occurred to me that most of these noble people were regular folks who stood up just like each and every one of us. There's uh, Stauffenberg, of course, but also George Elser, the carpenter who placed the bomb that would have stopped Hitler before it's, before he started. Had Hitler not suffered from digestive issues and had to leave the stage early, my point has nothing to do with violence, but more with my realization that each of us has a means to affect positive change, but we often don't see it or feel it. And we have so many nonviolent ways to stop the slow creep of authoritarianism before it gets to that dire point. Besides, that's not our way, is it? I'd rather vote and organize than hurt folks. And pod pet tax. I include a pic of my daughter's cat, who sure isn't averse to using violence at all. <laughs> oh my goodness. And that belly is a trap. So, oh, there's a kitty. Hi. Oh yeah, look at those eyes. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Thank you so much for this one. And this is from Lisa Catlover, pronouns she and her. Hello, AGDG and listeners. Thanks for all you do to keep us informed and helping those of us outraged by the news to feel supported. I'm sharing some good news, some good cat news about my recent feline addition, Molly. She was adopted from a local nonprofit in Olympia, Washington called Ollie Camp Kitties. This amazing organization provides free spay neuter services and vaccines for the pets of people living in homeless encampments. They also provide veterinary services to strays, then foster them until they can be placed in a permanent home. And that's how I came to be paired with Molly. She was a young and pregnant stray taken in by Ollie Camp Kitties to be cared for at a foster home. After she birthed her kittens, and once they were old enough, they were all fixed up, received their vaccines, and ready to be adopted. Now, I was looking for a companion for my salty older female cat, Jane. Now, while Jane didn't necessarily think she needed a companion, I have high hopes that she'll come to appreciate having Molly around. The adjustment's getting better. I've got uh, pheromone plugins going to help keep everyone calm. Do they make those for adults and humans? <laughs> Ollie Camp Kitties is doing such a great service for those experiencing homelessness, and I know they'd appreciate a shout-out to listeners that might want to send their way. And it's Ollie with a Y, O-L-Y, campkitties.com. Here are two photos of sweet Molly and one of salty Jane. Aww. Molly looks very sweet, and Jane is like, what the fuck? <laughs> I love the tuxie and the tabby. So cute. So sweet. Thank you. Thanks for being a foster mom. Thanks for, for adopting. Sure. Oh, that's so wonderful. And that's uh, Oli Camp Kitties, O-L-Y Camp Kitties.com. Awesome. That's a really good program. We have that here at the San Diego Humane Society. There's a really great program uh, for ferals and strays. And um, I think that that's just wonderful that the city provides that. Next up from anonymous pronouns, he and him. Hey, Beans Queens. I've been meaning to write in reaction to AG's Jeopardy experience. <laughs> George Washington? I tried to get on the show in 1989 when they were doing testing in Atlantic City. I managed to pass the test and get to the simulated game part. Unfortunately, that was the year I descended into a major bout of depression. My affect was so flat they passed on me. Oh, well. Here is a picture of my grandsons plus a what the mutt. Maggie oversees my daughter's pigs. Oh, let's look at these babies. Oh, sweet babies. Those are beautiful kids. And that dog. Is that a corgi golden retriever? It looks like a Pyrenees golden to me. Let's see what we got. What the oh. hell is a, mare, a mare, Maremma? A, a Maremma. I don't know. Let's see. Click, open link in new tab. Where did it go? I didn't mean to sound so angry. What the hell is a Maremma? <laughs> uh, Maremma. 
coastal hmm. area. But it does. It just is. It's an area. Oh, animal breeds. The Maremma has given rise to several breeds of domestic animals, working horses, uh, breed of large gray cattle. Shepherd's it's an area guard that dog. this dog would come from. It's a shepherd guard dog. Yes, shepherd's guard dog. All Look right. at that. Oh, cool. I've never even heard of that. Great. I learned something new today. Dogs are cute. That's all I know. How about that? All oh my right. god, this next dog. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> stop it. Okay, this is from Bob Pronouns, he and him. I just wanted to send a shout out to my wife who has loved me more than I thought anyone could ever love anyone, even during the hardest times of my life as I deal with way too many mental issues. For pet tax, I submit two pics of our lovely Schwartz that's going through some cancer issues right now. We named him Schwartz because we thought he was a palm, German word for black, but since found out, it's a skipper key. I'm sorry? Skipper key. A skipper key, which is Belgian. Wonderful. We mostly call him little man, but sometimes I sneak in the old in the middle. And this dog has got <laughs> some personality. Look at that. Look at those eyes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh my, I would just be so joyful all day with this dog. Oh, so sweet. Oh, old man. Oh, I love him. Thank you for sending that in. That is definitely worth it. Uh, next up from Amy C. Hello, listeners since the beginning of Muller She Wrote and now Beans Clean Up Jack. Uh, thanks, Amy. Please, you have to realize what, what a missed opportunity to call the Jack Pod Jack and the Beans Talk. I thought about that, Amy. I thought about doing a sep. You know how like uh, Sex and the City has its own podcast and Succession has a podcast of just people talking about the show. I was like, maybe we could have a podcast about the two podcasts called Jack and the Beans Talk. And I was like, like, but then I have a podcast about podcasts and it just didn't make sense to me. Either way, Jack and the Beans Talk is fucking hilarious, by the way. (laughs) You should get points for that alone. It is good. Here's what here's a what the mutt for my two scruffy terriers. All right. Well, the little one looks like a Yorkie, right? With yeah. a with a oh for sure. Maybe even a Yorkie of, Schnauzer. Yeah, maybe. And the big one, I would say a Westie mix. Oh, old English sheepdog Jack Russell. All right. Oh, <laughs> that's a different picture. I think there's actually some um, husky in there. Maybe. Maybe. Could be. All right. So here we go. Terrier Husky, they think. Oh, Very love good. Husky. Yeah. And PWG is a possible dorky, which oh is God. a weenie Yorkie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So good. I never have so many good before. dog photos today. My God. I know. These are so good. That skipper key is going to stick with me for a while, though. All right. Do you? I mean, I, this is the last one. Do you want me to take it? You want to close us out? No, you go ahead. All right, this is from Anonymous, pronouncing in him. Good morning, ladies. In December 2021, my wife was diagnosed with a rare neuroendocrine tumor in her stomach. In mm. early 22, she lost a fourth of her stomach. This is a rare slow growth cancer, and chemo radiation does not affect it. So after surgery, her numbers were high, and original doctor wanted to remove her entire stomach. Some more tests and doctors visits for a second opinion. No cancer has been found, but she will have to be tested for the rest of her life and deal with the problems of the surgery. You ladies helped me for a few minutes in the morning to get my mind away from all the stuff with my wife. Thank you. So, so good news for no more cancer, and we are enjoying life to its fullest. Good news indeed. 
um, anonymous. Now, the second good news is our only granddaughter, age 16, has come out as gay. That is good news. Congratulations, granddaughter. We told her we are proud of her and will support her no matter what, as long as she is happy. Amen to that. And that is good parenting. Do, do, do. Yep. And good grandparenting. Excuse me. Our pet tax is our two remaining cats. First is Smokey. I was saying Smokey, but Smokey, she is 19 and last of the three sisters we had. She is our 430 alarm clock for breakfast. The second is Autumn, and we found her at a campground, too small to be alone. She attached to me, and this is the look I get when I get home from work. We tried the blue tape, but that did not work. Autumn just likes laying next to her scratch pad. Anyway, have a wonderful day. Wow, Smoke is 19. That that is a good look with some dilated (laughs) eyes. I'm high and welcome home. (laughs) Tuxedos are so weird. Oh, my God. They're just weird autumn the blue tape didn't work well everybody thank you so much all these pod pet pics i'm looking at the skipper key again (laughs) he's just so cool oh and this uh and i learned a new one marema i learned a new breed today and these kids are so adorable on oh, the tuxies thank you everybody so much and then the cat whose belly is a trap you just I love this. I love the good news. Keep sending it into us. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here on this uh, on this Not Monday? for today. Just sending love. Yep, sending love too. And a uh, couple days, Pride Month starts. And in San Diego, we kind of get two Pride yep. Months because we, we moved our stuff back to July uh, because California has so many major Pride events in June that we didn't want to interfere with any of them. So yep. Oh, it's going to be a great, great summer. Um, summer of pride, summer of indictments. It's just going to be, it's going to be great. It's Bring going to be it great on. Democracy summer. All right, everybody, we'll be back tomorrow. And uh, until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone you know with you. Everyone. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. 
and a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.